0: You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. All right, let's get to today's guest, Wendy Hansen is the co-founder and COO of Better Manager. At Better Manager, Wendy and her team believe that managers are the single most important factor in employee engagement and happiness. The employee-manager relationship determines up to 70% of an employee's engagement, and engaged employees are the key to company performance. Companies with highly engaged teams outperform peers by 147% in earnings per share. To create effective and lasting change, companies need to invest in a solution that is adaptive, responsive, and meets the needs of all managers. And that's where Better Manager comes in. Better Manager executive coaches provide cost-effective, personalized guidance that any manager can benefit from. The Better Manager team facilitates through a combination of coaching, workshops, and technology. Wendy joins Michelle today to talk about her personal journey from employee to her first side hustle to leadership and entrepreneurship. Welcome, Wendy, to Lead to Soar.
1: Welcome back dear listeners to Lead to Soar, the podcast by A Career That Soars. I'm Michelle Redfern, the co-host of A Career That Soars, and along with Mel Butcher, the producer and, well, facilitator and host of Lead to Soar. Today I'm interviewing Wendy Hansen and I'm going to ask Wendy to introduce herself shortly. But what I'm really excited about today uh, in, in having a chat with Wendy about her career that SOARs is the fact that she's had, well, like a lot of us, a non-linear career. Uh, she has done a whole bunch of different things. But we're we're going to explore the concepts of entrepreneur and intrapreneur. Now, for some of you who might be thinking, but hang on, this is around women who are in an organisation and having a career that soars. What has entrepreneurship got to do with my career well we're going to explore that because I think it's got a lot to do with it and it's got a lot to do with it because of a conversation I had with Wendy a way back uh, a little way back when she explained to me perhaps why I had had some made some of the career moves that I had made but enough about that. So Wendy welcome to Lead to Soar. it is terrific to have you here and well I'd love you to introduce yourself to our guests with, well, let's let's hear about your career that has soared and continues to soar.
2: Oh, thank you, Michelle. I'm so happy to be here. Talking with you is so easy and such a pleasure. We always go into unexplored territory, which is always great. We but, do uh, indeed. Just like our careers. <laughs> yes. We never know where they're going to go. Yes. So briefly, I I started off, I had a degree in special education, my bachelor's degree, And I had my first 20 years in special education. And I did a lot of entrepreneuring in that field, starting businesses. And I got a master's in organization and management. And then I said, well, I think I want to be in regular business instead of human services in education. And so I became an executive coach. I was trained by the Coaches Training Institute, now called Coactive. It's a global organization. Highly recommend it and I worked for years. I worked at Google from 2002 to 2007 as a coach, and I had a chance to work with so many other big companies along the way, and a lot of startups, helping companies get started. And then I was fortunate enough to have some other Google partners, uh, Stéphane who who is CFO of Google Europe, and Will Corley, my business partner of many years, who was also at Google coaching with me. We formed another company, four and a half years ago called Better Manager. And uh, we now have coached thousands of managers around the globe. We coach in 11 different languages and I have an amazing team and we have a great technology leadership platform and we do training and coaching for a lot of middle managers, but also senior execs and new managers because who doesn't need a thought partner and have their own coach? So that's kind of where I got to where I am now.
1: Awesome. And some threads through there that, that I'm going to pick up on uh, in our conversation. And when you consider, when you reflect back over your career and reflect in the context of it, and I know you're familiar with, with our leadership definition, which is leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. When we talk about that leadership definition, we know that the business strategic and financial acumen, the, the achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes, is often either, well, it, it's the missing 33% in the advice, the career advice given to women, but also it can be missing in the way women demonstrate their business strategic and financial acumen. When you consider your career, when you go back over that career, when do you think you had an experience that you went, ah, To be successful, as successful as you have been, you had to really brush up or get good at this business strategic and financial acumen business.
2: I'm a big believer in partnership, so I was always lucky that I always had good partners too. But I had an early experience of that, Michelle, when I was in college. I was actually a student teacher at a, um, a workshop that served adults with developmental disabilities. And um, I was always very active my last two years in college and doing things in the community. And I was asked to be on a board of directors of an organization that also served adults. And I got a real taste then of being on a board with a lot of mentors, women that I, they were all women that I stayed in touch with for many, many years. Even after the board was long gone, we stayed together because I learned so much from them because they had been in human services, one was helping people that were getting relocated from outside the country and helping women. They, they were really about not only helping people with disabilities, but helping women. And so I was really lucky early on. And I ended up to take a job that because of these relationships, I took a job right out of college as a manager. I was actually turned down for a job as a teacher aide, and I was devastated. And then... And I had spent my last like $30 on a really nice outfit. And I went to this teacher aid interview in my fancy outfit. And I ended up sitting on top of a box with a guy in shorts because they were closing down school. So there just was a mismatch. It just didn't feel right. And then I said, well, forget about this. I'm just going to be me. And I put on my patchwork quilt skirt and my boots. And I went to the next interview. And I showed up as Wendy. And I got the job. And I was a director of a program right out of college. And it was because I had invested early. And whether it's you're investing early in your career, or you invest early as you're in college, it's like be yourself, it was the lesson that I got, and just show up fully and always be out there networking, learning and having new experiences.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we have a there's a lot of advice given to women about being confident and, and which we're, we're on a bit of a bandwagon about at the moment about where does confidence come from. More on that later. But being your authentic self, what does that really mean? It, it really means being comfortable and when you're comfortable – and being authentic, you, the energy that you're using is directed towards the task at hand. In your case, this is around you know strategic networking and getting a gig and and all of that kind of stuff, which I think is uh, good advice. You, you talk about partners, and we've had a couple of conversations now in a career that soars, and partners comes up over and over again. Who were your partners that enabled you to build? well, your business strategic and financial acumen, who are the people that you said, okay, I need to do this, or they've said to you, this is what you need to do. Who are those partners that really helped you, well, frankly, move into the C-suite and beyond?
0: Mm.
2: And our last conversation, I, I talked about this too, when I was working with the Special Education Collaborative and the I was director of all the programs, but the executive director, Les Burnell, had awesome financial acumen. And we would sit and do budgets together. And it was a a grant-funded program. So we always needed to do reports because it was with the federal government. And so I learned a lot by him being my mentor. And he wanted me to soar. You know, I had a boss before that that just wanted to keep me down. And I think everybody can relate to the difference, what that feels like. I just reconnected with a woman that I coached a couple of years ago who when I coached her she was having such a problem and she was a high you know senior leader in a company but the person that she reported to just never told her that she appreciated her never gave her any kudos for anything and she said now she's in this new company and she said I love going to work because somebody points out what I do well and I learn from her all the time. So if somebody is listening and they're in a situation that's not good, there is hope because if you're working with the right people, you can learn from them. They will mentor you. And if you're not, it's a good time to pick your head up and look around.
1: That's really good advice. And I know that you've talked about Les before as as a great partner. And I think where I want to take the conversation now, Wendy, is around, well, I'm, I'm going to call it. The person you are coaching, the woman that you are coaching, a boss that's not appreciative, a boss who perhaps isn't recognizing your talents, your strengths, your gifts, as you call them, uh, perhaps a workplace that isn't, well, it isn't, it isn't what I want. So if I'm a woman and I'm in that workplace and I'm, I've got that boss that just, frankly, isn't bringing out the best in me, so they haven't engaged the greatness in me, right, and. Put your head up and look around. What should she do? And I know we're kind of going slightly off topic here, but you've navigated so many of these workplaces, but you've navigated that with other women when you've coached them and helped them realize that, hey, back yourself and look around. What is she going to do if she says, "I just can't do this anymore," and I need to look around? What is what is she going to do?
2: Mm, That's great because, yeah, I've coached a lot of women in this situation, and sometimes. We fall to feeling like a victim or we feel like we're stuck, you know, that I can't leave this because there's not another opportunity or I can't I can't do this. I was just talking to somebody recently who she's also like under the thumb of the the woman that she works for. And it's just it drains her energy. It makes her so sad. So we had to brainstorm. What are some other things that you could do in this organization that you may be able to work around to be able to report to someone else? And there were people that were out there asking for her assistance. It's an organization where people tend to stay a very long time, and there was someone leaving their leadership position. And this woman really only wanted to stay in this company until her retirement for another year. So it's like, what could you do for this year that could really add value to the organization that you could say, What if I took Nancy's place and helped bring this team together while you begin to hire somebody? So the point there is look for opportunity. Don't feel like you're stuck. So sometimes it's looking around within the organization and then sometimes it's, you know, taking your network in a very subtle way and let them know, hey, you know, at some point I'm going to be looking for a new opportunity. Who do you know? Because I think that's how we get most of our, opportunities in life. I think that's how I've gotten all of mine. I don't think I ever answered a a job um, lead from anywhere except from a a person, you know, who said, I think you'd be good for this. Except for the first one, when I wasn't hired for that teacher aid job that even paid terrible, that was answering a job. And that was back when I was 21 years old. And otherwise, any work that I've ever done and business that I've done as an entrepreneur has come from word of mouth and and marketing myself.
1: Yeah. Now we're going to go there. So because like you, I was not a practiced job hunter because jobs came to me through my network, Mm -hmm. through my proven track record of accomplishments. So I had a track record of, of achieving and sustaining outcomes. And yeah, so I did have those opportunities come to me, largely come to me. I made two moves in my career where I applied for jobs as a you know, as a cold candidate. One when I was moving from country Western Australia to the big smoke of Perth and when I was a 20-year-old. And the other when I decided to leave my organisation that I grew up in, Telstra, after 15 years, I applied for a job ad then. But those were the only two. It's so important. So I really want to tease out, number one, let's not stay and suffer in silence when our greatness is not being engaged in our job so we want to put our head up and look around the organization and see what else is going on there we also want to tap us our, our network so this uh, i'm going to go into to talk about strategic networks and then i want to talk about intrapreneur entrepreneur wendy because i think that's really relevant to this conversation about hey i'm a woman who feels like i'm a bit stuck tapping your strategic network means well a strategic network is a network of the right others what are your secrets what are your tips what are your networking success stories and and the you know stuff that you can share with our listeners because it it's networking still remains as as one of those you know you say let's go to a networking function <laughs> And, and, and women go, oh, my God, no, don't make me. Whereas I go, oh, I can't wait. This will be really good. What are your thoughts around strategic networking and the how? We know why. I, I, you know, We all know why it's important, but what gets in the way and how do we get out of there?
2: What you just said, Michelle, brought back memories of going to – networking events, thinking like, I'm going to meet the right people at this event. Like I'm going to go to the Chamber of Commerce wine tasting event and (laughs) meet people. And uh, the best advice I have in an event like that is what I call tag team networking. You go with somebody else and you both know what you're looking for and you introduce each other. So I used to go with my friend, Michelle, and Michelle would know somebody. And so she's like, This is a person that you should know. So Michelle would go up to them and introduce them. And she's like, Have you met my friend Wendy? Wendy is blah, 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 blah. And da da And that would start the conversation, which is so much more comfortable than going up and saying, Hi, my name is Wendy. And what do you do? And and even though I am such a like I love people, I have no problem talking to people at those kind of events, I would freeze. So yeah. if you're an introvert, my heart goes out to you, it would be terrible. But tag team networking really works. And then I'd find somebody and introduce Michelle to them. Even if we didn't know them, we would figure out a way to introduce each other. So we could brag on the other person. And that just is so much more comfortable it would get us into better conversations. So I highly recommend that if you have to go to an event.
1: I love that. And do you know, and, and I think I, I know that I do that in a roundabout way, not necessarily overtly in terms of events. I mean, gee whiz, we haven't had that many networking events in the last 12 <laughs> months, right? Yes. Yeah, we have, we have. <laughs> but one of the things that I always say is that anytime you're in a room with more than one other person, more than yourself, you're networking. There's an opportunity to network. But I, I really, really like, I, I like being able to introduce another person to another person. I enjoy connecting, but it's a way of, I, it's such a great tip for women to say, how can I demonstrate my personal greatness by engaging the greatness in another person? Hey, I'll introduce them You know, strategically, but, but again, you've got a plan. Both of you yes. have gone to the event or you're, you're going to go onto the webinar or you're going to, you know, whatever, whatever the opportunity is, you've got a plan to say, let's do tag team networking. I really love it. Let's talk about, I'm coming back to the woman that you're coaching, who is kind of a, a an avatar for so many women that we know and we hear the stories of, okay, so I'm in a job that's not quite right or my boss is not quite right or that I don't think the company's quite right. And I'm thinking about what I should make my what my next move my next big move should be there's some statistics or there's some trends that have emerged uh, that I've been paying attention to Um, since I was doing my MBA actually because I I did a a, some some work around I I did a whole course on being an entrepreneur and that's when I realized I was one (laughs) Um, and I had these aha moments which you and I kind of briefly discussed a little while back and What we're seeing is because of a whole range of things, including inflexible workplaces, the challenges uh, that women have doing what I call the three C's, cooking, cleaning, caring and career, we're seeing women who are either exiting workplaces and starting their own businesses or what I have seen many, many of us doing, and in fact, I did it, have a side hustle. So they're fueling something and whether it's their entrepreneurial spirit or whether they're creating another life for themselves or whatever it may be. But I guess my goal is to see more women in leadership across the globe in organizations. And whilst I would never want to say to a woman, don't be an entrepreneur, don't go out and start your own business. I'm interested in saying how might she scratch her entrepreneurial itch <laughs> inside an organization and how does she feed her inner entrepreneur if she thinks that's something that's going on or she may not even know just like I didn't so Wendy let's let's talk about the entrepreneur entrepreneur scenario what's yeah. your version of being an entrepreneur
2: well first Can I tell you a little story about a side hustle back when I was, that I think a lot of women might be able to relate to. This was back in the eighties and I was living in Massachusetts and I was caring for my grandmother who was 85 years old. And so, and I was working full-time during the week and on weekends, I really couldn't go away or do anything because I had to be close to Nana at the house. And uh, I had an old garage in the back of the house that was kind of falling down because my house was, was an old house. It was built in 1803. Well, I renovated that garage and I made it into a gift shop, Wendy's Country Things and Herb Garden. Because if I could spend the weekends working in the gift shop, then I could be right downstairs from where my grandmother was. And that decision to do that was the most wonderful decision because I learned so much from that experience. And I was open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I hired these two little old lady friends that were in their 70s, 80s, and they ran it on Friday. And then I'd come back by five o'clock and we'd close the store for the day and then go up and have dinner with my grandmother. And that was my side hustle. And then on the weekend, and it was only open from, from Easter through New Year's, and I learned so much business through running this store. I learned, how do you buy wholesale? I had to go and, and figure this out. I would go in stores and look at tags and see where items were purchased, and I didn't know that there was such a thing as wholesale markets and where you would get things, and I had a, a great three years running Wendy's Country Things in Herb Garden. I had my first CPA, who the first time I came to see her for taxes, the box was so big, I could barely carry it with all the stuff that I had to show her. And by the next year, I was coming with a shoe box. And by the next year, I was coming with a file. And she, we used to laugh about it. Her name was Linda Smith. I'll never forget because she was also a mentor and helped me to figure out how do you do this? You know, what things can you deduct from your business? You know, how do you make this really run? And, and it wasn't my primary income, but at the time it was a good side income and more important, it was a great learning
1: experience. There is nothing like your own business to teach you you. how to (laughs) achieve and sustain extraordinary (laughs) outcomes. And, and, you know, and, and we say that we're part of the information and the, and the learning that we share with with a career that soars women and all around the world is act like a passionate business owner. Yeah. When when you're a passionate business owner, you really pay attention to a, a whole bunch of stuff. So that side hustle was something that, yeah, extra income, but also fueling something else. And I think side hustles can be a really great way to hone a whole bunch of skills, as well as, as I said, scratch that itch. So whether it's out of need to be a creator, a maker, an innovator, or whether it's a, I I need another income. What can I do with the assets that I've got? It's a great way to, uh, well, yeah, to be an entrepreneur. And I I,
2: learned things there, Michelle, that I then brought in to become an entrepreneur in the company I worked with, which was really what was so invaluable. I was director of special ed for this educational collaborative and we did vocational training and I set up companies and businesses to help people with disabilities get job skills. So two of those businesses, one was a pottery business that we did. So the students would be making pottery and we would be selling it. And the other was, this was back in the days of potpourri and I was able to get our bus drivers to pick up flowers at funeral homes and bring them back to the school and we dried plucked the petals dried them scented them and packaged them Yep. and i because i knew how to get into gift markets because of wendy's country things i would go to the gift markets and there was a big gift show at the jacob javits center in new york city and i'm looking around for somebody who wants to buy our potpourri at this point it was just the potpourri it wasn't the pottery yet And so I'm going up and down the aisles and this is at a huge convention center and I'm looking around seeing if there's anybody that I connect with. And all of a sudden I come to a booth and I thought if we could put our potpourri in cards, like package little small packages and put it inside a gift card, that might be very nice. So I was looking for somebody that had cards that had flowers on them. Well, I come up to a woman and I said, oh my gosh, I love your cards. They were watercolors and just beautifully done. And I told her the story and she just looked at me with big wide eyes. And she says, I've been walking around the show looking for potpourri. And when I told her (laughs) that what the, who the people that made the potpourri was, she was sold right there. And we actually became partners for the next couple of years she would buy all of our potpourri. She flew me down to South Carolina to help design some things that our students would be able to do so that it, we could create a win-win. She could put it in gift baskets. But it was only because I was an entrepreneur and I had those skills from having done that side hustle of Wendy's Country Things did I know what to do and know how to get in and what to ask for.
1: Yeah, I, that, that's great lessons. I, you've just made a memory pop up in my head as well when I was, well, intrapreneur, entrepreneur, but um, I was still working for Telstra, so the, the major telco here in Australia. And the call centre that I was working in, we had shifted locations and we were, it was a beautiful new location, but it, was no, it didn't have a canteen and it didn't have a shop and it didn't have a place to go and get coffee and you know, morning tea and, and buy lunches. Well, you had to walk sort of 10 or 15 minutes or 10 minutes down the road to the, to the lunch place, which when you only get a quarter of an hour for a break, <laughs> me meant it was, you know, that was a bit tricky. Now in those days I was a, I was a, well, a young parent. I was juggling a whole bunch of stuff and I used to bring my lunch to work because I was too poor to, to buy, buy lunch. And I'd bring my own snacks and, Someone said, oh, wow, you always have such, because ba- I am really love baking. You always have such lovely stuff to eat, you know. I said, oh, I'll bring you some tomorrow. And then I went, hmm. So I'm bringing stuff and I'm in, in, then bringing stuff for another friend. And I thought, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. There's a need here and I can fill it. I've got it. There's a gap in the, there's a gap in the market here and I'm going to fill it. So I started every night. I mean, I was baking every night anyway for my kids' lunches and, you know, this, that and the other it was a therapy for me. So every night I would just bake a, either a batch of muffins or a batch of biscuits or a cake and sl- and I dice it all up and p- package them all up, put little labels on it, and I would just put it on a tray in the lunch room with two dollars per slice or whatever it was <laughs> on a you know a jar and on a jar because but I'd done the numbers. I went here's all my raw ingredients, here's what they cost, multiply it out. This is what the you know the unit you know the unit cost of an item is put a margin on top of course I wasn't factoring in my own labor but you know there you go but it taught me aha this is a I'm learning about margin and like you know now where can I go and buy my ingredients in bulk rather than from the supermarket because I may as well if I'm going to do this and yeah so I had this lovely little side hustle inside my business but at the same time I'm having conversations within the organization albeit about staff health and well-being and I was a bit of a bit of a pain in the bottom for my bosses because I was always agitating for better conditions and you know this that and the other and and I was able to say to them hey if you invest in a couple of things in this in this place you're not going to have people coming back late from lunch late from their breaks which means they're going to be on the phones and talking to customers so you should pay for this because it's going to pay off in the long run so there you go you've just made me Have a memory about how we can be entrepreneurs, how our entrepreneurial streak can help our our own businesses. And and you need to
2: think that way though, Michelle, that story, I hope it gets other people to think because somebody else may have just been a generous soul, gone home and baked and brought things in once in a while, but not thought of how do I create a win-win? Like How do I monetize this strength that I have to help somebody else also? Yeah. I did that later on. I, when I was in between jobs, when I had left my job and was in coach training, I had been a, an instructor for a a diet company, the diet workshop. And I had some friends that had been with me and they was like, well, now that you're not working, would you run a group for us one night a week? And I was like, sure, you know, come on over. And I would give them dinner and, and none of them really loved to cook. So what I ended up doing was they would pay me, I would make double the amount. So we'd have dinner and they'd get to take leftovers home so that they'd have food for the next day. And I had a little, it wasn't, it wasn't so much about making money, but I was paying my way with these friends of food. And it's the same thing. Like think if you're an entrepreneur, you got to think about how do you monetize things and create a partnership, a win-win how do you organize things and how do you dream up ideas? These are all things that entrepreneurs do, that entrepreneurs need to do in companies. That's such a valued skill.
1: It is. And I recall the conversation early on when I was I was on your podcast and we were talking about being an entrepreneur and I was talking about my career. And you said, Yeah, well, there, there you go. So if you if someone's saying, I'm still not quite clear what an entrepreneur is, Wendy what does she look like? What are the sort of things that characterize her or what do we want her to do if she's an entrepreneur? So she's, you know, there may be listeners saying, listen, I'm I'm not interested in starting my own side hustle, my own business, whatever, but I'm really interested in what this, you know, I'm a career woman. I'm going to work for other organizations, but I'm really interested. How do I bring the entrepreneurial spirit into my organization to help it meet its strategic and financial goals? So, what is she doing what is she what should she pay attention to
2: well i think she's really looking at the business as what if this were my business what would i be doing you know because i think if we if we hold that and we hold it as i really want to see this business succeed if it's your own business you know you've got a lot of skin in the game here and it's your own business if you work for a corporation you might feel like well, that's them. And this is me. But look at it as, wow, if I were owning this business, I would really make sure that this happened. And I might take some more risks. I might go to my boss and say, you know, I have an idea. Here's, you know, if there's something that we haven't talked about in this business, if there was a way that we could get this kind of customer or create this kind of product, I think we might get somewhere. It's thinking... With an innovative mind, outside the box, what would be different? I think if you're inside a company and you just, here's what I have to do, here's my job, I follow the rules, I just do what everybody else does, you're not an entrepreneur. If you think about what systems might we create to make this job better, or who could I partner with in this company to be able to, one and one is three, if we we put our heads together, we'll make this happen. How do I organize things better? Because if you're an entrepreneur and you're an intrapreneur, it's not just the work that you personally do. It's that you need to work through other people. You have to help other people be successful. So there are a lot of those traits that you need as an entrepreneur that if you use them inside a corporation could be so valuable and you'll be seen as, oh, you know, she looks at things differently. I want to have a conversation with her and see what she's thinking about.
1: Yeah. And we know that the impression or the perception of bosses sometimes uh, around why women don't get ahead is because she's not in the know. If you're in the know about your business, about the organisation that you're working for, A, you know what its strategic and financial goals are and you know your role in, in helping it achieve them. But, but you know you know what's coming. You're, you're lifting up to look at the external world. So what are the forces that are going to provide headwinds and tailwinds for the performance of the organisation? And what can I do to, as you said, to, to monetize things, to, to innovate, to do things better, quicker, cheaper, carve out time for innovation? And yeah. I, I think innovation, there's this kind of trend, there's been a trend over the last five or ten years where companies create internal innovation hubs and for me, it feels a little bit counterintuitive because we don't want an innovation hub. We want an innovation culture. And to, to put it, it's a little bit like diversity and inclusion. If you give someone a diversity and inclusion role, everyone says, well, that's their job and I don't have to do it. If you give someone an innovation role, people go, well, that's their job and I don't have to do it. It's so wrong. We want everyone yes. to be an innovator. We want everyone to be entrepreneurial. So. Let's talk about the bra. Now, I think there's people are going, what is she talking about? Women's underwear <laughs> for? I want to talk about it's all in the bra, Wendy, because you have developed your business strategic and financial acumen and you fueled your successful entrepreneurial entrepreneurial career and you you create some advice around uh, well, you talk about what it's all in the bra is all about
2: this was a a number of years ago, you know, prior to Better Manager, I was really wanting to work more with women leaders. And I knew there was so much valuable advice and stories, just like the work that you do, Michelle, like collecting the wisdom from other people. And so I had a keynote speech, I was, I'm part of the National Speakers Association. And I had to design a, a speech and give a keynote. And the keynote was, it's all in the bra. And when I did my keynote, I actually put on a bra that was three sizes too big and I filled it up with things. And I filled up, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to put on your big girl pants. And I pulled out a pair of, you know, like tight, tight pants that would fit in my bra and hold up my pants. And then you have to have a team. And I pulled out the cutout dolls, like the ones that you pull apart, so you have a whole team, you have to pull that out. And then I I said, there's a really important thing that you need if you wanna be an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur, you need to have, and I pulled out an F, you need an F, and that stands for focus. You have to have focus on what you're gonna do. And it was really quite hysterical because I kept pulling things out of my bra. I'm getting a visual. It
1: would have been hilarious.
2: (laughs) Yes. It was quite good. I must say. So then I developed a podcast called it's all in the bra and it, it came out of this keynote and it was actually a friend of mine, Paul Larson, who I hadn't said what bra meant because I was just thinking literally because sometimes I can be very literal. And he's like, I know what that stands for business revenue and assets Yes. And I was like, brilliant. <laughs> That's what's all in the bra. Um, yep. So there were a lot of lessons there for women that they could relate to. You know, you have to have a team. You have to put on your big girl pants. You know, don't give up. Be strong. And and I would tell some stories about that. And I, it was so much fun and and relatable to people that, you know, it's the kind of thing that You do it and it's fun for you. Other people learn. It's a win-win. And then other opportunities come from that because you're seen in a different way. So never be afraid to go out and try something as wild as it may sound.
1: Yeah. And I like the fact that your your partner, Paul, said, right, business, revenue, assets, because... (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, we go back to, we, we need all three, everything going on here. We want your greatness. We want you to engage the greatness in the team, but we have to pay attention to the, well, it's, it's the money, right? It's the business, the revenue, yeah. the business strategic financial acumen. It's so important that we pay attention to that stuff, even as entrepreneurs. Yes, your organizations have got a finance department. Yes, there, there's a, a set of accountants who do the books and do the reports and what have you, but how do you link that to what you do? And if it was your own business, would you make that decision? And I think about some of the, well, one of the best pieces of career advice I ever got very young in my leadership career. I was very young. I was about 22. And it was, Michelle, every decision you make, you've got to make it like you're cutting the check for it. Yes, And, yes. you know, and at the, at the time I probably thought, oh, yeah, 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 whatever, um, as an arrogant 22-year-old typically does. But it just, it must have stuck with me because like you, having that entrepreneurial itch or streak, which I didn't realise until I kind of I talked to you the first time, it meant that I was always looking for, I was seeking out, how can we do this better? How could we make our customers more happy? How could we improve that process? How might we? That was the, that's the stuff. And I think for, you know, for women who are listening to say, yeah, I think I want to know more about how I can be an entrepreneur inside my own business. That's it. This is yeah. the way to do it. Find out, yeah. you know, think about your customers. Think about the cash. Think about the growth. Think about the return. Which bits can you improve on? And, you know, even if even if you're not in the sales side of the business, everyone has a role to play in helping the business grow. So find and well, scratch that entrepreneurial entrepreneurial itch.
2: Yes, definitely.
1: If, yeah. When, sorry. When, when you, go, you on? go
2: to your, we often say when you go to your boss and you have a, a problem, you come with some solutions, right? Come with some ideas or solutions. Well, carry that out a little bit further and come with some entrepreneurial ideas and solutions, you know, Here's a way that and begin to plant those seeds. You know, I just had a wild idea, and you could frame it that way so that you Mm -hmm. feel like, okay, I had a wild idea. What if we did this? You know, I could do this, this, or that, and all those might work. But what if we took a little risk and did this? Because that's what an entrepreneur doesn't make it by just doing status quo, you know, unless you buy a franchise and you're just going to. Like, here's how I follow the rules. And even that you still have to think outside the box, but it's a little bit more of a pattern that you follow, but really put that out there and, and, and sit and think about it. I think one thing I noticed about any people in business, Michelle, is that we don't take enough time to reflect, to stand back, get out of the work, you know, work, work on the business instead of in the business, as they always talked about in the E-myth, you know, and, think about what are some other ways to do this. And unless you take time and um, there's a, oh, I can't remember his name now, a book that I read many years ago and had a profound impact on me of, you know if you're stuck on trying to come up with some new ideas, change your environment, like go for a walk in a museum. I happened to live near a museum in Oakland when I was in California and I, it was two blocks away. And I'd go walk around the museum and think about something, and it wouldn't—I I wouldn't do it very often. But when I did, I was always have different ideas because I'd see things differently. I'd see a piece of art and think, "Oh, that makes me think of this." But get out of your—get out from in front of your laptop all the time. Go out in the world. Take a walk, even now in COVID times. Take a walk in nature. Walk down the street. Look in store windows, and think about the problem you're trying to solve. And think about it like an entrepreneur.
1: I had two experiences in my career where people did that. There was a, a guy who was the headed up the business unit that I was a, a part of, and we had an open plan office in one of the tallest buildings here in Melbourne, and he would always around two o'clock in the afternoons just turn his back to everyone and look out of the plate glass windows over our city and our bay and everyone knew you don't go near him at this time it's his thinking time so he carved out thinking time to noodle on as as our my, my dear co-host mel says to noodle on the stuff that was going on in his very big complex organization and then the other experience i had was with a uh a guy in my network mark when I first started my business he said I'll give you some advice redfern make sure you carve out thinking and scribbling time yeah. you will you know this hustle culture is not we, we've got to not pay attention to that we've got to have time to think time to innovate so for leaders who are listening and you're thinking how do we how do we move past these intractable problems or how do we create new solutions you know to carve out some time I remember I had a really and and I'll ask you to to comment on on how leaders might do that, Wendy, but I had when I was at one of the big banks here in Australia in charge of some some contact centres, I knew that the folks on the phones listening to our customers every day, they had the ideas. And I went, okay, um so I started big forums, and big stood for Big Ideas Group. Mm. And we would I would just get you know fifteen or twenty of the frontline consultants, bankers in the room and we would just go we would just go right what's happening what what have you heard from customers what do you want to do better what should we be paying attention to and the output from the big forum would then go into a whole bunch of other different forums for consideration because there were, and the insights that came out of there were amazing including the fact that you know even just if customers got say a $2 fee on their on their account our poor consultant, frontline consultants couldn't just refund it as a goodwill measure. They'd have to put in a complaint form. They'd have to go through another person, another person, another person. And when I heard about that, I went, oh, that's bonkers. Why are we doing that? Okay, let's map the impact to the customer, uh, sorry, to the organization, let alone the customer. And we worked out that if we gave our frontline consultants discretionary authority to refund on the spot, it was going to save a lot of money because every time a customer queried a fee, it cost us about $290 to process that query versus giving them two bucks on the spot. So, you know, that that's, that's what happens. You know, we have a, so there you have a happy customer and you save money. So this carving out time within the organization to, for innovation, it's not, as I always say innovation is not inventing the next Apple iPhone. Wendy is it? It's, how to do things even better for your customers, your shareholders, and the people in the organization.
2: Yes. And you gave such a great example of the people that know things that know it the best are those closest to the work. And sometimes we don't take an opportunity to ask them, yeah. you know, what is it that we could be doing better? And that's what you did with big. That was brilliant. Um, oh, because we could, you could look at it from the ivory tower and you'd never figure out how much that project really cost or what the impact was on customers, finance, the organization, turnaround time, eating up people's valuable time that they could be moving on and working with other customers to make them happy. So great example.
1: Yeah, thank you. And it, I thought it was too. And, you know, there was a bit of self-service in there in, for me as well, because I was new to the business, new to the organisation, and it was a way for me to learn. It was a way for me to achieve mastery in that domain as well. Hey, um, Wendy, so we, as always, we could talk for hours on these, <laughs> these subjects, you and I. Some advice then, what would you like our listeners, the, the women in organizations to pay attention to if they want to scratch their entrepreneurial itch and have a corporate career that soars? What's a couple of pieces of, of snappy advice that you can give them?
2: Think about what brings you joy and what you can do better than anybody else. It's kind of the old hedgehog concept. you know. What is it that you really love to do and then think about is there a way to monetize it you know this was another thing that didn't work but i thought it was a really good idea there was a company that sold casual clothes and they were looking for somebody to help sell them and and it just it was kind of like a tupperware that you would you know have a have a party once a week or something and i thought wow i need a bunch of new corporate clothes this would be a good way to do it and i'd get the clothes paid for And I would learn in in the interim. And it's like, I tried that. I did it for a while. It didn't float my boat. But again, I, I took a risk. It was like, it didn't take anything away from the work that I was doing during the day. But I got to play with it. There are people that sell Avon, Mary Kay Cosmetics, do other things. And it scratches that itch. And then you learn things that then you could go off and say, hmm, I want, to, I want to sell a product that I make myself. You know, I've worked with so many entrepreneurs that started off maybe in like, I want to make handmade cards. And then you think, well, what does that cost you? And how do you do it? And now Etsy, I think is, is worldwide, has yeah. made a business out of that big time. So that if you have talents on the side, you can figure out somebody that can help you market it or selling things on eBay. I just went to a physical therapist who has a side hustle selling things on eBay. She buys and she sells, she buys and she sells. And she gets a real kick out of, I bought this for 50 cents and I sold it for $25, you know? And that's like her joy. She gets a different kind of joy than she gets out of her main work. So I think anybody can find something and and just think about what you want to do. Think about how much time could you put into it? So that's on the entrepreneurial side. And the intrapreneurial side, think about if I ran this company, what might I do? And how might I get some ideas out there that help us think outside the box? So there are just so many different things that that you could could think about. And one of the things that we're going to make available to people is I wrote a, a book with two phenomenal partners, The Sassy Ladies Toolkit for Startup Businesses. And it really gives you, and we're going to share the PDF of the book. The book came out in 2009 and it's all still very relevant, except of course the chapter on technology. We should have never put that in. Yes. I
1: I think (laughs) any any book written on technology is kind of out of date the minute it's gone into print. (laughs) By the time
2: it goes to print. (laughs) It has things like how to write a back of the napkin business plan, you know, um, thinking about what you might want to do. So There are many resources out there that you could use to just get yourself going and take time. I tend to do it in the morning. I think, you know, that seems to be my brightest time, but I sit back in the morning, I meditate and I think about the day. I think about my gratitudes, what I'm grateful for, what I'm hoping to achieve, what would a good day look like? Make sure that you take that time. You know, whether if you can only carve out 15 minutes, it's 15 minutes more than you would if you did nothing. And if you can take a half an hour, that's even better and write some notes, keep a journal, but you know, just don't jump into your day. And then one day becomes the next day. And it's just not going to be as fulfilling to you, but think about other things that you can do.
1: Flipping that then I'm I'm in a flipping phase at the moment. I'm I'm liking (laughs) to flip problems and look at them from a, a different way or flip opportunities. So if you're a leader, a manager in an organization and you want to fuel entrepreneurship, what is your advice to those? Cause we know that that's, that's where great, you know, like my big forum the like, like the, the yeah. stopping breathing yeah. and reflecting, what should our leaders do?
2: Well, they should follow your lead and, and do a big group, like go down and talk to people that are closest to the work, you know, do some open forums, uh, Ask people to be on an advisory board with you to think, how do we think more entrepreneurial in this company? You know, I want a group that wants to meet like that. And let's, ha- let's have a meeting over coffee on Zoom once a month and come with some ideas and no ideas are bad ideas. You know, you could do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a leader that really lets people know that, that when you think of things, they may not always work. And Google did this back in the day, right? Google had 20% time where, and they still do it, where they say 20% of your time, you work on any project you want. And then 80% of the time you work on your job. Well, some of Google's best products, such as Gmail, I think Google Satellite, all of those were actually built on somebody's 20% time. So give people some entrepreneurial time if you're a leader. Say, take 10% of that time. Even IBM. I read a story the other day. IBM used to give people 15% time. And when you think of some of these things, it's about a half a day. So give somebody a half a day. They took Wednesday afternoon and they were thinking, reflecting, they were working on a project that was their passion project. And then, you know, check in, how's it going? And and I don't even know if there's as much of a check-in as somebody would come and say, oh my God, look what I discovered or what I came up with. But you know, great companies that trust their people as leaders will be able to give that kind of time and make it work. And oh, 3M did that. 3M did it. And the inventor of Post-it Notes, which we know is probably- Oh my God, most- I, I worship. I oh worship at God. the altar of Post-it Notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was done on somebody's 15% time.
1: There you go. There you go. So good advice for how women can scratch their entrepreneurial itch and be entrepreneurs and great advice for, for leaders to create or carve out time. Wendy, we have heard from you today a whole bunch of things. We've heard about how to have partners in your career development, how to do tag team strategic networking, how side hustles teach you about business, How to pay attention to, well, frankly, how to monetize things, how to carve out time for innovation. Think about the hedgehog concept, which is a a look that stands the test of time. There are, you know, Good to Great uh, is is one of those books that just stands the test of time. Stop. Breathe, think, or stop, breathe, and reflect. So lose the hustle culture and think about that carve out the time. So take the wisdom that, that Google and 3M and, and IBM and, and, and yourself and, and we both do it. Carve out time to think about how can we do this better, whether it's your own business or whether it's the business that, that employs you. We've heard about it's all in the bra. And we've got presents for our career that saws members because we've got a we've got a little a toolkit, the Sassy Leaders Toolkit. So we're, we're going to post that in a career that saws the book. And you've got one other little PDF that you, we're we're going to share. Do you want to explain what the the wheel is all about, Wendy? Yeah. And then we'll we'll finish up.
2: Well, the wheel in in coaching, we often use what we call the wheel of life. You know, and you it's a way that you assess. The eight components of your life, you know, your, your money, your relationships, your work, your play, spiritual life. And as I was looking at that, because I had used that for many years, I thought, we need an entrepreneur wheel. So I used that model and made a wheel. And it's developed, it's, think of a pizza pie with eight pieces. And some of the areas that I talked about, like being an innovator, being an organizer, a dreamer, a communicator. And I spell this out, but I want people to look at it and say, how would I rate myself like as a dreamer, somebody that comes up with a vision and ideas on a scale of one to 10 and you mark it on this pie chart and look at where your strengths are and areas that you might want to get better on and take some action on. And so this little handout is a way for you to think, you know, if I want to build my my strengths as a dreamer or or delegator team up with a dreamer, what would my next inspired action be? Like, yep. what would I do? Because we can have all the dreams we want, but if we don't take action, they're not going to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. So it is a terrific handout. And I've got to say, as a, a leader of people for many, many years, I would have really appreciated this to fuel a really great discussion with my teams um, as well as to to reflect on. So that is also a thank you, Wendy. That's a really generous gift for our members of A Career That Soars. So listeners, if you're not a member of A Career That Soars, you need to get on over and join up to, to tap into the toolkit or the Sassy Ladies Toolkit for startup businesses, which is applicable to entrepreneurs and being an an entrepreneur the wheel so we'll have that available to our members wendy as always awesome to speak to you Uh, lots of wisdom there and you know what i really appreciate is the the fact that you know we have so many innovators makers change makers and, and entrepreneurs who listen to us who are working inside organizations and given that I was one of them, you've helped me pull together some threads to make it a a really nice looking, well, a a really great look at what it means to be an entrepreneur. So I know our listeners will be really appreciative. So thank you for your time. It's been awesome.
2: Thank you, Michelle. It's always fun to talk to you and we could talk for hours and hours. So I look
1: forward to the next time. Awesome. Thanks, Wendy.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.